This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. Are you sick and tired of your family? Do holiday get-togethers seem unbearable? Then you need the Family Survival Kit. New from the makers of Date Be Gone and Rent-A-Kid, it's the Family Survival Kit. Filled with tons of family neutralizing goodness. Like the criticism canceling headphones. Harsh words go in, but compliments come out. Why can't you be more like your sister? She's always been here when I am so proud. You are perfect just the way you are. I love you. Creeped out by over affection to dance? Not anymore with Family Off, specially formulated to repel unwanted affection. <gasps> now, how much would you pay? Never be asked for money again with the Mooch Whistle. It sounds out a high-pitched sound that only Mooches can hear. They'll be too confused to ask for anything. Undisciplined children are no problem at all with sleepy time brat darts. Just lift, aim, and blow for a whole 24 hours of brat-free living. But wait, there's more. Unsure of what to say to emotionally unavailable family members? Then let an expert say it for you with Dr. Fill in a Can. Are you avoiding reality? Do you resent your children? Do you realize that this is a big problem? You can't change what you don't acknowledge. Thanks, Dr. Phil. If all else fails, use our patented nuclear family love grenade. Just pull the pin, toss it in, and let nitrous oxide put the fun back in dysfunction. So call this number and get your family survival kit today. Just three easy payments of $19.95. Order today and get the tongue cozy absolutely free. I can't taste a thing. So order yours today. Supplies limited. Price subject to change. Love grenade not legal in Utah, Hawaii, and California. Not responsible for any damage or liability associated with improper use of products. May not work on Germans, accountants, or people who are sticklers for spelling. Ah, yes. You know, we were thinking about using that as a fundraiser. It'd make a lot of money if that actually worked. You know, as I watched that video, I was thinking... That bring up anybody in your family? I'm not kidding you. I, I I had an aunt who, even as a small child, I could recognize that when she came to any family gathering, I I watched the adults scatter. <laughs> and behind her back, all of us kids called her Uncle Thelma. I know that's bad, isn't it? Yeah. You know. Today we're talking about toxic family. And whether we like to admit it or not, all of us have people in our family that are just toxic. And uh, I want to say a couple things uh, about that. Actually, I want to say a lot of things about that. But I'm going to use some illustrations and so forth today to help us grasp the reality of some of that. But in every illustration that I use and in uh, every teaching that I give, it's not so that you could condemn a person in your family who might be toxic to you. But there is a sense in which you have to learn how to live in a healthy way in the presence of people who are toxic. And that's the skill that the Lord wants to give you today. And that's what he wants to speak into your life about. Now, if you were here last week, okay, we talked about toxic faith. And how that sometimes even something as wonderful as faith can be turned into something that's toxic. But you know, I got just a wonderful reminder this week that when faith is good, 
And when faith is right, oh, there's just nothing like it. Yesterday morning, my day started. I was going to do some work around the house, and I was going to build some shelves. And, and uh, so I walked out of the house, and my, my seven-year-old grandson, who lives right across the driveway from me, comes up. What you doing, Poppy? I said, well, I'm going to build Grammy some shelves. Oh, good. Can I help? Sure. Come right on. So let's go up to the house and let's take some measurements and see if we can find the brackets and so forth. So we looked around for a while, couldn't find the brackets. And so I said, well, I'm going to have to go to the store. And he goes, well, can I go? And I said, well, sure, go ask your dad. I'd be happy to take you. So he ran next door and he came back with his head kind of down and says, well, dad wants to know if Silas can go because dad's taken me to a, to a soccer game to see the San Jose earthquakes. And so uh, so, sure enough, so I traded the seven-year-old for the three-year-old. And, uh, yes, indeed. And uh, so I loaded, I got Silas's car seat, and I loaded him in the car, and we're talking back and forth, and, and this, Silas is definitely a talker, and uh, just a fun little kid. And we're talking about all sorts of things, and... Uh, I have a little noise I make that sounds like a bird, and Silas had never heard it, and so I was making this noise saying, you know, I think we got a bird in our rocket ship here. And he goes, yeah, I heard that. And so we're having this wonderful little conversation, and I'm, I'm driving up McDowell, and as soon as I turn left on Clegg Street, I hear this little voice in the back seat, and he starts to sing, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say, you're my God. You know, he knew where we were. He knew where we were going. And he knew what that represented. So I thought, boy, that's really great. And I didn't, actually didn't say anything to him about it. Just went on about my business. Came in and did some stuff. And we went up to Home Depot and got the shelving brackets. And I told Monica I would stop back by here. And... Uh, and uh, to see how she was doing because my cell phone died, so I didn't have any way to, to stay in contact with her. So I'm driving back down here, and again, we're talking and doing all sorts of stuff and in the car. And, and as soon as I turned into Clegg Street, I hear that little voice one more time. He starts singing the song again. You know, I want you to realize, as parents, and, and I know that some of you teach in our children's ministry department on other Sundays, one of the greatest things you can ever communicate to a child or most specifically to your child is the beauty and the wonder and the purity of a simple faith in God. That's when faith is not toxic. That's when it's healing and helpful all the way to the core. Now this morning, I'm going to talk about toxic family. So... Uh, Kind of hang on. We're going we're gonna to go through two or three different things, and I'm going to ask you to write in a hurry. And then all the way at the very, very end, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of personal application. So uh, grab the notes on the inside of your program that say New Life Notes, and, and, and let's, let's walk through this. First of all, I want to teach you three lessons about toxic family members. Lesson number one, I have to go to the book of Genesis 4. 
You see, a lot of times we think that toxic family is something that's kind of a relatively recent development in our world with the advent of television and all the modern stuff that we have, that somehow we have problems in our families that people in past generations never had. Well, just pick up your Bible and start reading Genesis chapter 3, the very first couple, Adam and Eve. Eve decides to do something she absolutely knows is wrong, and after she does it, she goes to her husband and says, why don't you do it with me? You know, that's kind of borderline toxic. But you don't even have to get out of that family. Because what happens? God blesses them with a son. His name is Cain. God blesses them with another son. His name is Abel. And one day Cain gets so angry in a jealous rage of his, of his younger brother Abel. What does he do? It kill, I'd say that's toxic, don't you? <laughs> that's about as toxic as you can get. And we haven't even gotten out of the first family yet. You fast forward a little bit, and you get to a guy by the name of Abraham. Nice guy. In fact, the Bible calls him the father of all who believe. And yet Abraham has a wife and a concubine. He has a son by the concubine, and, and kind of all hell breaks, breaks loose in the family. And Abraham gives permission to his wife to kick out Hagar, his concubine, and Ishmael, his son, and to throw them out of the house as homeless people to wander the streets in the deserts where they lived. I think that's pretty toxic. Abraham has a son, Isaac, who marries a lady by the name of Rebekah. And Rebekah has a favorite son, Jacob. And she convinces Jacob to come up with this giant camouflage so that he can lie to and deceive her husband and swindle his brother out of things that rightfully belong to his brother. We say, that's pretty toxic. Jacob has 12 sons. And the vast majority of them conspire to sell one of their sons into human slavery. Now think about this with me for a minute. I'm not even to the end of the first book of the Bible, and I haven't even hit everything. Oh, that's a highlight reel. Okay? For as long as there have been families, there have been toxic family members. So principle number one is this. Unfortunately, dealing with toxic family members is a normal part of this life. So rather than thinking, oh, God, why did you give me this family? We got toxic people in this family. Why couldn't you give me a family like Pastor Hunt's? We all got them. Okay? There's a few nuts on every family tree, right? That's just how it works. Now, for the second lesson, I need to take you to a different place. And for those of you who have a, a science background, I'd like to take you to the periodic table of elements. And we're not going to go down through the entire periodic table of elements, but there's a whole section that's the radioactive elements. And you know, there, there's a wonderful lesson to be learned here. Because every radioactive element has what scientists call a half-life. And that means if you were to take that radioactive element today and, and, and then whatever its half-life is, if you went that long, if it was four years, then four years from today, it would only be half as radioactive as it is today. 
and four years after that, it would only be half as radioactive as it was four years previous. That's what's called its half-life. Now, every radioactive element in the world has a very, very precise half-life. For instance, radon is a naturally occurring element, and it has a half-life of 3.8 days. So if you were to have radon in your presence today, um, whatever its radioactivity level is today, if you tested it 3.8 days from today, it would be exactly half of what it is today. On the other hand, uranium generally acknowledged to have the longest half-life of any radioactive element. You know what its half-life is? 4.5 billion years. You know, if I've got to encounter something, I'll take radon any day, all right? Because the deal is, there's a principle there. Sometimes we think, I've got toxic family members, and we tend to think that all family members that are toxic have that same level of toxicity. In fact, principle number two is this. That is, not all toxic family members are equally toxic. So you can't just look at somebody's life and say, Oh, they've got some dysfunction. Okay, quarantine them. Okay? And there's a number of other principles that, that I will teach you along the way about that. But at least recognize that not everyone has the same level of dysfunction. So you're going to have to use some discretion and you're going to have to call on God for some judgment because you can't just paint it with a broad brush and throw them all you know, in, in the recycle pile of life. Now, for the third lesson, I want to take you straight to Jesus' teachings. Take a look at this passage. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And and I won't go into all of what the context is, but what Jesus is saying is that roughly speaking in life, there are two kinds of people. There are healthy people and there are sick people. And what was it Jesus acknowledged that sick people need? A doctor, right? In other words, if you know you're sick, you need to take some action. I know, guys, that we never take it until we're forced to, okay? But the idea is when you know you're sick, you need to take some action. And so principle number three is pretty simple, and here it is. When a family member is perceptively toxic, for the safety and health of both myself and those I'm responsible for, I must take action. And I I want to talk about three simple words out of that because it's important for you to understand that, okay? Uh, When a family member is perceptibly um, toxic for the health and safety of myself. When you get on an airplane and you listen to that boring speech they always give you at the beginning of how to fasten your seatbelt and if the oxygen mask should somehow deploy from the ceiling, what's the thing that they say about the oxygen mask about your own versus your child's? What is it? You always do your... Not because you want to be selfish, but because if mom passes out, the kid is in trouble, right? So let's keep mom, you know, coherent... And then mom can help the child. You know, I sometimes marvel at husbands and wives who will leave their children in terribly toxic situations because somehow they don't want to live alone. Now, 
By the way, I'm not saying that to make anybody here feel guilty. But if that shoe fits, I want you to wear it for a minute. You see, God has, God will not allow you to assign your own emotional and spiritual health to anyone else. It's not enough to say to God, well, God, I'm married to a toxic wife. What do you expect? God would say, I'm sorry. You cannot blame your own emotional health or well-being or sickness or toxicity on the fact that, you, that you're married to someone who, who somehow is not healthy. You have to take some action. By the way, I'm not a big proponent of divorce. That's not, that's not really what I'm talking about. But you're going to have to take some action. And not only for your own health and safety, but for the health and safety of your children. Because God created your kids to live in an environment that's relatively stress-free. And when you and your wife or your husband don't create an environment that's relatively stress-free, you stress your kids. And when you do that, your little three-year-old is not going to round the corner singing, Here I Am to Worship. You understand? It's so vitally, vitally important that when the situation is toxic, when it's poisonous, when it's destructive, it's time to take some action. So, what's the action that we take? Well, there are five actions that God calls us to in His Word. And, and I want to take the time to delineate those five and to speak into them a little bit. Let's take a look at the very first one. And that is, action number one is I must learn to live within my own limitations. Paul writes to the people in Corinth, and he says, We ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. I want you to underline a couple of things, or circle them, or however you want to do it. But I want you to, to, to somehow delineate the phrase, fragile clay jars. And then secondly, I want you to circle or underline that word treasure. Now, there's a number of things that are wrapped up in that word treasure. And in this particular passage, Paul is talking about only one, which happens to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's a word that represents something far greater than that. I want you to think with me for just a minute about the treasure that God has given you purely and simply because you're a human being. First of all, you were created in God's image. That, my friends, is a treasure. The fact that you were created in God's image is what keeps you from eating from the same garbage can that your dog does. No offense to dog lovers, okay? It's what enables you to love and to be loved to speak into people's lives and to have your life spoken into. It's what enables you 
to carefully and tenderly caress a child and nurture that child, not just physically, but nurture that child emotionally, nurture that child spiritually. It's what enables you to connect on a spiritual level with an eternal God in a way that no other creature can. There are so many things that life itself is a treasure from God. Now, you have been very, very blessed by God in ways that would be even hard to quantify in this message. But I want you to think about something. Where does the Bible say God puts that treasure? What does it say? We ourselves are like fragile clay jars. Those of you who listen to Caleb or or the candle, or whatever else, will recognize that there's a Christian group called Jars of Clay, okay? You recognize where they got that from. I want you to think for a minute about how fragile you are and how fragile the people are around you. Because you know what God is saying? It's as if every human being should come with a stamp on their forehead that says, fragile, handle with now when you look in the mirror what should you see fragile handle with care there's a couple of limitations that I want to point you to and they're very important for you to to know and understand the first limitation is this I have weaknesses that make some people and situations more toxic to me than they are to others. That's a very important thing for you to know and understand, that you personally have weaknesses. It's what makes one person toxic to me, but not toxic to another person. And if you, and if you don't live with that, that understanding, then you barge right into situations and you think, this situation should not be toxic to me, But friends, you bring from all of your experiences in life and from who your dad was and who your mother was and who your first boss was and sometimes who your fifth grade teacher was. Oh, you have all these experiences, who the playground bully was and what the playground bully actually said to you and what you heard the playground bully say to you and those tapes that play back and forth in your head will create a a very unique set of circumstances that some people are just too close to one of those tapes or messages. And for you, they become toxic. That's important for you to know and understand. Because if you don't understand that, you won't know how to deal with them. You won't know how to build or not build a relationship with them. You won't know how to take action or set boundaries that we're going to talk about later. You just need to... And if you look around and think, well, golly... Pretty much everybody else seems to be okay with this person. And you just keep moving forward. You're not living within your own weaknesses. You, my friend, just like me, are a fragile clay jar. You are easily broken. It's important for you to know that. And to guard what God has given you. The treasure God has given you in that fragile clay jar you call a human body and a human spirit. The second limitation is this. God has not given me the ability nor the responsibility to change anyone's behavior. I can tell you for sure I cannot change your behavior. As I told you last week, I can't even change mine most of the time. 
You can't change. I, I look at people and, and I hear people say, you know, I, I think if I just stay a little bit longer, if, if I just love them a little bit more, if I try just a little bit harder, they'll change. No. No matter who they are, no matter what friend they are, no matter how close you are to them, no matter how much you love them, I want you to hear me carefully. Everyone in the world has only one Savior, and it's not you. Everybody on board with that? I remember one time having to deal with a staff member who was just struggling mightily and and was involved in, in just a terrible activity. And when I had to confront that staff member, one of the most painful messages God gave me was this. I want you to speak into his life, but you cannot rescue him. I will work through other people. I still don't know to this day why God made me understand that, but it turned out to be for the best. You see, in a sense, what God was saying is, Ron, no matter how much you love this person, He still has only one Savior, and guess who it isn't? It's not you. And so for some of us this morning, we just need to release the sense of responsibility we have to try to change some toxic member in our family, even if it's our husband or our wife. God hasn't given us the ability to do that or the responsibility. So the first action I have to take is I have to decide to live within my own weaknesses for I am a fragile clay jar. The second action I need to take is this. I must decide to always forgive. Always forgive. What does that mean? Well, I want you to underline the word always because that's a really important word in this context. And, and I realize, even as I say that, that there are a number of us who don't really understand what forgiveness means. So I'm going to delineate that over the next two action items. But I want to read you a passage first. Here it is, Matthew 18. Peter came to him, that's Jesus, and said, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother who sins against me? As many as seven times. And Jesus said, not seven times. I tell you, but 70 times seven. We'll spend a little bit of time in this in two different places in the sermon this morning. Uh, but first of all, I want you to, I want you to know what, what's going on here, okay? Do you think Peter might have been surprised at Jesus' answer? What do you think? I think Peter was greatly surprised. Like, golly, why such a high number? Well, one of the reasons that Jesus replied to Peter the way he replied to Peter is because there was a fundamental misunderstanding that Peter had about forgiveness, Okay, Peter assumed that forgiveness was always done for the benefit of the person who needed to be forgiven. And Jesus wanted Peter to know right up front, no, that's not true. One of the most important reasons you forgive is to keep your own heart pure and, and in freedom. So let's go to forgiveness truth number one. Take a look at it. Forgiveness is a conscious decision to release ourselves from the connection to that hurtful situation. 
Now, I had you write in the word release because I want you to remember that word. If you do something against me, I have only two choices in life. Because I'm going to get, if you do something hurtful to me, I'm going to get hurt. I'm a human being. I'm, what did we just learn? I'm a what? Fragile clay jar. So if you do something to me, I'm going to get hurt, just like you're going to get hurt if I do something that hurts you. At that point, I have a choice. I can either carry it or I can release it. Which do you think will be the most fun in life? What do you think? Releasing, right? Of course. Because if, do I have a right to carry it? Of course I have a right to carry it. You did something that hurt me. I have a right to remember that and to hold it against you if I want to because you did something to me I didn't deserve and the sense of fairness God gave all of us teaches us that I have a right to hang on to that if I want to. But now think with me for a minute. We're talking about toxic people. If you fire a poison dart at me, and it hits me, and it injects poison into me, do I have a right to hang on to that poison and be sick the rest of my life if I want to? Would you recommend it? No, I say, man, get some treatment for that. Why? Because as quickly as you can, you want to take the toxin that's in your life, in your body, and you want to get it out of your body so that you can live toxin-free. So when Peter came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? You know what Jesus was really saying to Peter? That is brilliant, Peter. So from the eighth time on, you just want to be sick, huh? Is that how that works? Now, he wasn't quite as sarcastic as you and I would normally be. So what did he say? 409. You know what he was saying? Peter, man, don't keep score. You see, if you carry something with you, you know what you do? You force yourself to keep score for the rest of your life. Friends, that's a heavy burden. Every time they get a blessing, how do you feel? (laughs) You're keeping score. God, what are you doing? Did you see what they did to me? How can you bless somebody like that? And then you know what you do? You go count your blessings to see if you got the same thing. Because God forbid that they should get something you didn't get. And then you get mad at God when your scores don't add up. And you set yourself up for bitterness and jealousy and envy. The first thing you need to know about forgiveness is you don't forgive primarily because they need it. You forgive because you need it. It's the quickest route to freedom. So it's a releasing of the connection between yourself and that hurtful event. 
You don't hold them against it, any, it against them anymore. You don't keep score. You don't keep trying to get them to come and apologize to you. You just release it. You let it go out of your life and you say, it's no longer my problem. It's something that they did and if they don't make it right, that's their problem in life, but it is not going to be my problem. I'm not going to borrow their baggage. I'm not going to carry their baggage. I'm not going to keep score about how much baggage they have. I'm not going to keep score about who owes me what in terms of what they've done to me. I'm through with scorekeeping. I'm all done. I release it all. And that's why Jesus said, I want you to forgive every time. And that's true for the toxic family members in your life. You have to learn how to forgive them every time. But you can't confuse forgiveness with a couple of other things. Principle number two, forgiveness truth number two is this. Forgiveness is not the same as approval. You see, sometimes the reason that we struggle to forgive is because we feel like when I forgive someone, I am communicating to him or her that that behavior is now acceptable to me. Oh, no. It's not the same. I can forgive you and be nowhere close to giving approval to your behavior or, or, or your deeds. It doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean I accept it. It doesn't mean that I approve of it as acceptable behavior. It simply means I choose not to carry that offense anymore and not to try to settle that score. I release it, but it doesn't mean I approve of it. By the way, does Jesus forgive us and forgive us completely of our sins if we choose to come to Him in faith? Shake your head like this. Yeah. Does He approve of our behavior? Shake your head like this. Got it? Forgiveness is not the same as approval. And, and the sooner that we learn that and understand that, that I can look at someone and I don't even have to say it out loud to them, but it does help me if I say it to myself, if I just say, you know, I choose in this moment of time to forgive that person for what they did. And, and, and so from this point on, I just release that and I no longer have, I'm not going to allow myself to have a desire to settle that score. By the way, for some of you, that would improve your driving. Okay? Don't put a release sticker on your horn. That will not help you. I release you. No, that's not going to work, all right? You'll have to find some other place to put the release sticker, something that doesn't feed into your desire to get even. But boy, I tell you what, if you could learn, even in your toxic family members, as you deal with them, and some of you, by the way, you don't have to look to aunts and uncles. Some of you are actually married to people that are toxic. Okay? We'll talk a little bit about how to do it. By the way, just so that nobody panics and you're not going, it's not be a good time to this kind of thing. But, <laughs> but to some degree, if we're married, all of us are married to people who have some toxin in them. All the married people said? Yeah, you don't say it real loud, do you? <laughs> it's true. Okay? So the idea is not to punt your, your mate into the next county, but we're going to have to learn how to live with forgiveness and recognize that when our mate is toxic to us, when our husband or wife is toxic to us, not to ingest that toxin and carry it, but to learn how to release it. 
but to recognize I'm not giving them approval to continue treating me like that. We'll talk in a minute, in a minute about how to take care of that. So there are forgiveness truths, number one and number two. Now, let's go to action number three. Because action number three is I must set and maintain healthy boundaries. Take a look at what the Bible says here in Romans chapter 12. If it is possible, I want you to underline that because there are two caveats in this passage. And the first one is, if it is possible, what's the implication? It's not always what? Possible. Okay? Now, the second phrase is also a caveat. Okay? As far as it depends on you. Underline that one too. As far as it depends on you. What, what's implied in that phrase? That sometimes it's not depending on anything that we do. Then what does he say? Live at peace with everyone. That's toxic free living there, right? Living at peace with everyone. So what do we do about that if it is possible and as much as depends on you? Well, that's it. I have to learn how to set and maintain healthy boundaries or life's going to get tough. Let me take you to the pantry for a minute. You're in the pantry and you're baking cookies and it smells really, really good and your seven-year-old son or grandson walks in and goes, oh, cookies! And you say, now listen, these cookies are for a special meal tonight. We have a family coming over and they're part of a very special dessert and so I don't want you to eat any of the cookies until dessert time tonight. Do you understand? So you leave, you go your way, and you come back by the pantry an hour later, and because you are a very, very savvy parent or grandparent, you have stacked the cookies in such a way that you will know if they've been messed with. (laughs) That's hint number one to all parents and grandparents. And you notice right away that one of the cookies is missing. And so you go find your seven-year-old son and you say to him, what did I say to you about the cookies? And he grins at you and there's a little chocolate right in here. But because he's a good son or a good grandson, he says to you, I am so sorry. I know I wasn't supposed to eat a cookie and I did. Now you can either carry that or you can what? You can, you can forgive and release it. So you decide to forgive and release it, and, and you explain, I'm so disappointed, and please don't do that again. And you go your way, and he goes his way, and you come back a little bit later, and there's another one gone. So you find him, and you say, wait a minute, didn't we have an understanding? I'm so sorry, but they look so good, and they smell so good, and I, I just... I, Now, if you're a really smart parent or grandparent, what do you do with the cookies? Oh, man, you guys are on top of it. You move your cookies. Yeah. Because that leads to forgiveness truth number three, and you must understand this, and that is forgiveness is not the same as trust. Can I say that again? Forgiveness is not the same as trust. Now hear me. When you continually expose yourself 
or leave yourself exposed to a family member that you know is toxic and hurtful and harmful to yourself and to your children. And you think that you are living in forgiveness toward them, you are not. You are trusting your life and the life of your children to someone who has demonstrated they're not worthy of trust. You need to move your cookies. Can I say it any plainer than that? If it is possible, as much as depends on you, but friends, when it's not possible and it obviously doesn't depend on you, it's time for you to set some boundaries in your life. Now, I'm not going to take the rest of the morning and try to delineate all the various circumstances that could take place in a family and where you need to set those boundaries because they would be as different as there are people in our crowd this morning. But I want to tell you this. If you're in a situation in your family right now where your wife or your husband or the grandparents of your children or an aunt or an uncle that live very close to you and that your kids are around all the time, if you are in a situation where you know those people are untrustworthy, do not just, you've got to put a boundary in your life because you cannot endanger the safety and the health of your own soul and your children's soul to people who are toxic. I don't care how closely related they are to you. Are you on board with that? Now, if you don't know where to set that boundary, you pick up the phone and you call the church office and you ask for Bob. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. All right. <laughs> you pick up the phone and you ask for anybody on the staff, okay? And we will help you. And if it turns out to be a long process, we have a group of Christian counselors in this area that we will get you hooked up with, with one of those Christian counselors, and they will walk you through it, and they'll find out what all has gone into it, and they will help you set boundaries in healthy places in your life so that you can live at peace and protect your own safety and your own health and the safety and health of your children. Vitally, vitally important. Now, let's take a look at the close. I have a couple of closing well, there's actually uh, two other things, and then we'll get to the closing things. Action number four and action number five I'm going to take together. So let's put them on the screen together if we can. Action number four is I must pray for them. And action number five is I must bless them with kindness. Very important. I must pray for them, and I must bless them with kindness. And you go, whoa, whoa wait a minute. I think you just said put boundaries. Well, you don't have to cross any boundary to pray for someone. And you don't have to cross any boundary to be kind to them. Now let me read to you what Jesus said at, 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 in His Sermon on the Mount, His most famous sermon. Take a look at it here. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemies. By the way, does that come relatively natural? Nobody has to work at that one, right? We all love our friends and have a tendency to hate those that aren't so friendly. But I say to you, love your enemies. And there's the word. What is it? Pray for those who what? 
Would you say that was toxic? It is, isn't it? Pray for those who are toxic to you. If you do this, you will be children of your Father in heaven. Wow, that's so important. Remember that old phrase, like Father, what's the rest of it? Like. Yeah, you want to be known as someone who is God-like, that you're like your Father? Well, here it is. You pray for those who hurt you. If you do this, you will be true children of your Father in heaven. Why? He causes the sun to rise on good people and on the evil people. And friends, you need to be very, very grateful He does that. Because depending upon how your week went, it would be interesting to see people gather at church. Because here comes a person and the light of God is shining all around them. But here's another person who had a tough week. There's a big (laughs) cloud of darkness that comes with them and it follows them throughout the church service and the lobby. You know something? Every time it was time for the pastor to give a call for repentance, all the people who sit in darkness, everybody would know, that's for you. But the deal is, God causes His Son to rise on, on those who are living life right and those who are not living life. And then He goes, He sends His reign to those who do right and to those who do wrong. Now notice how Jesus applies that in our life. If you love only the people who love you, you'll get no reward. Even tax collectors do that. And don't have time to get into that. If you don't know what a tax collector was, listen to last week's sermon. Go on. And if you are nice only to your friends, you know better than other people. Even those who don't know God are nice to their friends. Now listen to how he closes this out. So you must be... What's that next word? Now that word perfect doesn't mean without flaw. What it means is... It, this, it means that you need to have in your life everything that God has in His Does God love people who hurt Him? Yes. So guess what needs to be in your life? You need to love people who hurt you. You might not be able to do it to the degree that God does, but you still need to do it. You need to be perfect and complete just as your Father in heaven is. So in closing, I want to give you two thoughts. Okay? Number one, this is a fantastic way to live. Can you imagine going through life and releasing every single thing that's hurtful that's been done to you and you don't have to keep score ever again and releasing every hurt that's ever happened in your life and you live in this wonderful freedom and purity because you're you're not ever keeping track of anyone or having to remember anything that was done against you. You know, it's great. I encounter people all the time that I do not like. Now, I won't tell you who they are, and you won't know. (laughs) Because you know something? When I encounter people I don't like, I hug them exactly like I hug people that I do like. And I listen to them, and I help them process things in their life, just exactly the same way I would listen to people and help them process things in their life for people I do like. You know why? Because as a Christian, God calls me to live like that. I need to pray for people I don't particularly like or enjoy. And I need to bless them with kindness. Not obligatory. That's why I use the word bless. Anybody can do kind things for somebody, but you can tell when they're doing them, (laughs) they're not getting any joy out of it. 
No, you, when you're doing this, you need to do it in the spirit of blessing. By the way, when you pray for them, there's kind of more than one way to pray. You already know where I'm going to go with that, right? You don't pray down fire and brimstone on them. I'll pray for my enemies. Hope God gets them. That's not what we're talking about, all right? Okay? So that's the first thing. It's a fantastic way to live. But you know something? Here's number two. You're not ever going to be able to do it in your own power. You never will be. I want to go back to that scripture, and, and uh, you can shut off the screen because I want everybody to pay attention. I want to go back to that scripture where, G- where Peter comes into Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my neighbor when he sins against me in, in, uh, up to seven times? And Jesus says, No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. I want you to think with me if forgiveness was like a high jump. And Peter comes in and says to Jesus, Jesus, how high should I be able to high jump if I'm a healthy human being? Uh, up to seven feet? I mean, if, and you know what Peter's thinking in the back of his mind. Man, if I trained and I worked really hard and I lifted weights and I ran, I did all that stuff, maybe once in my life I could soar all the way up over seven feet. Jesus, would that be good enough? And Jesus looks at Peter and goes, uh, Peter, I'm expecting human beings not to high jump seven feet, but 490 feet. Peter goes, Jesus, you got to be kidding me. No one, no one could high jump 490 feet. That's impossible. And Jesus would be saying, you're right, Peter. That's why I picked that number. Because you can't ever do what I'm calling you to do as a human being. You can't possibly release all the hurt in your life as a human being. You can't possibly know whom to trust and whom not to trust if you're doing it just as a human being. You can't possibly interact with the toxic members of your family if you're just giving it your best shot as a human being. So Peter, if you want to live the way that I'm teaching you, you have to recognize, Peter, it's a divine dimension that I'm calling you to, and you're going to need my help. And I would say that to you, that Christ calls us to live in ways that are not just good human beings, giving it their best shot. He's calling us to get in partnership with Him so that God can do in and through us what we can never do on our own. I have a little exercise I want you to do and then I'm going to lead you in prayer. The exercise is, I know that for virtually every person in this audience, as I've preached through this message, there's been a family member or two, or some of you are going to have a half a dozen, okay? that has come to your mind, okay? On your notes, I don't want you to write their name because somebody might find your paper, all right? On your notes, I want you to write their initials or some key that will clue you in, okay? For instance, if it was my Aunt Thelma, I would put UT down there for Uncle Thelma, right? (laughs) No one would know who that was, except for you guys. You would obviously know, okay? And then I'm going to pray a prayer 
that uh, I took some time to write out because I believe it's what God would want us to pray this morning. And I want to invite you, as I get to various points in that prayer, to put that person's name in that prayer or those people's names. So would you join me in prayer? Loving Father, we bring before you the names of people that we struggle with. Their initials are on our paper. There are people we struggle to be around and there are people we struggle to treat correctly. So Lord, we ask you to help us do what we cannot do on our own. You know we've tried. Enable us, Lord, to accept our own weaknesses and to be okay knowing that some people are toxic to us, but they aren't to others. That for whatever the reasons, they choose to behave toward us in ways they wouldn't behave toward other people. Help us not to judge and condemn them, nor continue trying to change them. Father, give us grace and power to forgive, to release ourselves completely from any connection to the hurtful things they have said or done to us. Enable us in this moment to just let go of these things that we have held on to so tightly and enable us to let go of them again and again today, tomorrow, and as often as they come back to our minds in the future. Lord, we ask you to help us be done with keeping score. Show us the freedom that can be ours through complete forgiveness, but also enable us to draw a clear line of distinction between forgiveness and trust. Help us to draw healthy boundaries, trusting only where it is healthy and deserved, exposing our fragile hearts to toxic behavior only when it is required, and then enabling us to be in those toxic situations without taking any of it into our hearts. Show us where to draw the boundaries to protect those you've entrusted to our care. And then, Lord, call us to pray regularly and genuinely for our family members who are so hurtful. Even now, Lord, we ask you to be active in their lives. Reveal yourself to them in love. Be as gentle and as patient with them as you have been with us. And God, bring them to places where they can be forgiven by you, not just by us. Where they can be delivered from this behavior that not only hurts others, it makes them miserable as well. And finally, Lord, we ask you to give us the grace to be kind to them always, to be considerate of their needs, to be gracious and unselfish toward them. As we go from this place, we ask you to do this through us day after day so that we might truly be your children. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Everyone said, Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.